Last night we talked about the world, the situation that we live in that is the world. Today we're talking about the actual situation. We're going to answer the question, why is the world so messed up? Why is it the way that it is? So what we're going to do is we're going to walk through four questions. Why is the world so messed up, which is the reason? What happened to the world? The results? Why does God let it continue the way that it is? And how should I respond? So why is the world so messed up? The reason that it is so messed up is sin. Sin is the problem. We've all sinned. So just to give you a clear perspective on what is sin, when we say sin, what are we talking about? Sin is any attitude or action against God. It's any attitude or action that is against what God wants, who God is, how God wants us to live life. So basically, we, we do things, we think things, and we move against God when, we, when we're doing that. When we do that, that brings sin into the world, and it brings evil along with it. So where did it all get started? Where did the problem start? It started way back with the very first couple, Adam and Eve, in the Garden of Eden. Romans 5.12 says, Sin came into the world because of what one man did, and with sin came death. The bad news is, it didn't stop with Adam and Eve. In Ecclesiastes, it says, there is not a single person in the entire earth who was always good and never sins. Sin is a universal problem. 100% failure rate with sin. No one has missed out on sinning. The Bible says, all have sinned. All of us, every person, every one of us, you, me, everyone around you, we have sinned. And when we sin, it's an action or an attitude against God, and that brings evil into the world. Another thing to understand about sin is that it's actually an archery term. It's an archery term from, from old English, old England. So if you, if you pulled out your bow and arrow, and you had a target that you were shooting at, you drew it back, you aimed as good as you could, but you shot your shot and you missed the target. That was officially referred to as a sin. If you were at an archery turn tournament in those days, there would be somebody, it would be like watching a tennis match. There would be judges down and when the, when the arrow fell short, the judge would yell, sin! Because it literally meant falling short. That's what a sin is. A sin is when you try to do something that is right, you miss the mark, you fall short. That's why in Romans 3.23 it says, all have sinned and fallen short. We fall short of the mark that God sets for us. We fall short of the target that God sets for us. We've all taken that shot. We've all fallen short. So how did the world... <coughs> How did the world get so messed up? It got messed up with Adam and Eve, and then we just followed that example. We continued right on with that. Every time I sin, it damages something. It damages me. It damages another person. It damages my relationship with God. Something gets damaged. Whether you see it in the moment or not, that's what happens. The reason the world is in a mess is because we've all sinned. 
The question then is, okay, we've all sinned. What's the result? The result is we live in a fallen world. The Bible calls it the fall. It is a broken planet. This is something we all need to understand and realize. We live on a broken planet. In other words, everything on this planet has been damaged, injured, spoiled, corrupted in some way by the entry of evil into the world. That has given us a broken planet. It was a perfect place. Before sin, it was perfect. But we broke it. A lot of people don't understand this, and that's why they, they find themselves asking the question of, why is this happening? Why is that happening? They don't understand that and this are happening because of sin. Sin has broken the planet that we live on. So when they ask that question, it's because they don't have the right perspective. They don't understand we live in a fallen world. So I want to give you four dimensions of this damage that I'm talking about. There are physical implications. There are emotional implications. There are relational implications. There are spiritual implications to our planet and us and people being broken. So what are the four results of living in a, in a fallen world? There is physical decay and death. It's a reality. The Bible says our physical body is, be, is becoming older and weaker. I can attest to that. That's a reality. You may not be feeling it yet. I'm sure some of you are, but some of you aren't. I feel it. Older, weaker. We're, we're damaged physically by sin, and that's because we live on a fallen planet. So not only do we have decay, but we also have death in the world. 1 Corinthians says, everyone dies because all of us are related to Adam, the first man. So one dimension is physical. We have physical de decay and death. Another dimension is emotional. We have emotional distress and disappointment. Have you ever experienced distress? Show of hands, show of hands, come on. Have you ever experienced disappointment? Some of you aren't raising your hands. Wow, because you must have an awesome life. <laughs> Emotional distress and disappointment. Why do you get stressed out? Why do you get disappointed? It's because you live in an imperfect world where evil exists and sin exists. Distress and disappointment are the result of living in a damaged, sinful world. Have any of you ever been distressed or disappointed by, by something you had planned? You had something really fun planned, but in the midst of it, something went wrong, something happened, and you were disappointed. It's a reality. I'm sure you have. You plan a trip to Tahoe. You plan a trip to the beach. You plan some kind of a, an adventure, and something in the midst of it doesn't work out the way you had hoped it would. Something is missing and now you're discouraged. You're disappointed. It says this in Job 6.20. They count on it, but are disappointed. When they arrive, their hopes are dashed. Why? Because you live in a fallen world with fallen people. And things just don't go the way you always hope they will go. And the reason they don't hope they go the way you hope they go? Fallen world. 
fallen people. That's the problem. Another dimension is in relationships. We experience relational distance and discord. When Adam and Eve sinned, it not only dis disconnected them from God, it alienated them from each other. It disconnected them from each other. Now, sadly, all of us have had to deal with that ever since. Emotional distance, emotional discord. All of the relational problems in life are because of this. You have a relational struggle, this is why. You watch somebody else having a relational struggle, this is why. Every relational conflict is based on sin. It's a simple formula, and it plays out all of the time. I want what I want, and you want what you want. And in our relationship, if those are not the same, in the moment, sparks fly. Things don't work out right because I wanted it this way, you wanted it that way, and now there's an argument. Distance and discord. Adam and Eve, man, they had it so good. They had this great intimacy together. The Bible says they were naked and unashamed. That's not just talking about physical and sexual it's also referring to emotional intimacy, real connectedness. They were naked and unashamed. When they sinned, it ruined the whole thing. All of it was ruined. It messed up their relationship. The intimacy of understanding each other became fear and hiding and distrust and shame. That wasn't there before sin. But it became there for them, and it's now here with us. That's our outcome because of fallen world, fallen people. Genesis 3, 7 says, they suddenly felt shame at their nakedness. See, this is after they sinned. So they strung fig leaves together to cover themselves. And men and women have been covering up ever since. And I'm not talking about clothing. I'm talking about emotionally covering up. We hide our thoughts. We hide our emotions because we're afraid. See, I know people who their version of covering up, hiding their thoughts, hiding their emotions, not really putting themselves out there is humor. They use humor in the midst of the moment. They're constantly telling jokes to keep everybody else laughing and just a little bit of space between me and you. They cover up with sarcasm. They cover up with that really quick reply. But it's all hiding. It's all based out of fear. Their reaction to life is to keep people at a distance. They keep people at a distance by being a joker, by being sarcastic, by using smart remarks. We, we keep our distance. We all do some version of this because we're all fallen people. We all in some way have some fear going on and we, we hide our emotions. We hide our thoughts. We're, we're afraid to let you know how we really feel. Afraid to let you know what I'm really thinking. Some people wear a mask. Do you wear a mask? Do you pretend that you're someone that you're not? Do you hide behind humor and sarcasm? 
those things cause relational distance and discord. Physical death and decay, emotional distress and disappointment, relational distance and discord. The fourth result is spiritual. Spiritual discontent and darkness. Sin leaves a hole in your heart that nothing can fill. Pascal called it the God-shaped hole. A hole in your life that only God could fill. You try to put something else in there, it's like putting a square peg in a round hole. It doesn't fit. It doesn't work. You know, to be satisfied, we try to, we try to fill that hole with all kinds of things. We fill it with popularity. We fill it with hobbies. We fill it with sports. We try to fill that hole in our heart with so many different things, but none of those really fit. Because the only thing that fits is God himself. And when we embrace God and bring God into our heart, it's the perfect fit. And we know it. We feel it. It doesn't change our broken world and our sinful planet, but at least we know and we have God with us. You were made by God and for God. And until you make that connection with God, you're going to live spiritually discontent. You're going to constantly find yourself being discontent with someone or something. You're going to find yourself, man, I am so discontent with challenge. It should be different. I'm so discontent with my church. I'm so discontent with my pastor. I'm so discontent about what he teaches. It's all about spiritual discontent and darkness that has entered into our life. When you get disconnected from the source, that is God, your creator, that's going to leave you with a feeling of emptiness inside discontentedness is going to lead you then to spiritual darkness. Ephesians 4.18 says, they refused for so long to deal with God that they've lost touch, not only with God, but with reality itself. Maybe you know people like that. They've lost touch with reality. It's not only that they've lost touch with God, they've lost touch with reality. Their views and their perspectives are so twisted, they don't have a handle on reality. We live on a broken planet. It has physical decay and death, emotional distress and disappointment, relational distance and discord, and spiritual discontent and darkness. That's not a pretty picture, but that's our reality. That's where we live. And that will answer a whole lot of the questions you have about life about relationships, about spirituality. It will answer a lot of those questions and issues, and then you can start dealing with addressing those things. See, the world, the reason the world is in a mess is sin. Adam blew it. I've blown it. You've blown it. And we've all seen the results. Here's the next question. Because the way that it is, why doesn't God just pull the plug on the planet? Why doesn't God just close up shop? Why does he put up with it? Why does he put up with us? God has three reasons for not shutting down the earth just yet. One, to give us a choice. 
In Deuteronomy, the Bible says, now listen, today I'm giving you a choice between life and death, between prosperity and disaster. Here's the point. God made you in his image. You are a human being. That means you have a free moral choice. You have a conscience. You you have a choice. God says, I'm not going to force you to love me. I'm not going to force you to to worship me. I'm not going to force you to do life the way that I want you to do it. I'm giving you a choice. You could either love me or not love me. You could accept my son Jesus or you could reject my son Jesus. I'm giving you that choice. You have that choice. Every one of us have that choice. That's why we so encourage people, make the choice of committing your life to Christ. Make the choice of becoming a follower of God because it will be the best life you could live. That's the good news. The bad news is you must be willing to live with the consequences of your choice. While you are free to choose anything you want, you are free to choose anything you want to do in life, you are not free from the consequences. I'm free to go out and take drugs, but I'm not free of the consequences of doing that. I'm free to lie and cheat, but I'm not free of the consequences of it. I'm free to murder someone, but I'm not free of the consequences of my action. I'm free to turn my back on God and do whatever I want, but I'm not free of the consequences of making that choice. See, if you want to, you could live your entire life doing your own thing, ignoring God, but you have to be willing to live with the consequences of that choice for eternity. God very clearly says, I'm giving you a choice. Second reason, to show us our need for a Savior. The worse the world gets, the more we realize we need God. The more messed up life gets, the more you realize you need God in your life and you need to faithfully follow him, consistently follow him. God says, I'm giving you a choice. I'm helping you to see that you need a savior. Without me in your life, what happens is you'll you'll tend to become subhuman. You'll stop living by the truth and you'll just do whatever feels good. That's what animals do. That's not the direction we want to go, but that's the direction you're going when you deny God's reality. Animals, you know, animals just do whatever feels good. If they want to smell something, they smell it. If they want to lick something, they lick it. They don't care. They don't even care what you think about what they're doing. They don't. Ecclesiastes 3.18, God allows people to continue in their sinful ways so he can test them. That way they can see for themselves that they are no better than animals. So what does he mean by that? What he means is that without God in your life, you tend to degenerate and start acting like animals. That's what that means. To do that means, you know, you're living life without a conscience. In other words, there are people in this world who have no conscience. 
They will say whatever they need to say to get what they want from you. They will do whatever they need to do to get what they want from you. That's living with no conscience. Human nature is, we don't think that we need God. We have to move to the place where we realize, I really do need God. I need God in my life. But our human nature says, no, I don't need God. I can do this living thing on my own. In fact, I know what will make me happier than what God wants me to do. So I'm going to go about doing life my way because that's where my happiness will be found. So I'm going to do what I want to do regardless of what God says, regardless of what God tells me in in the word. When I do that, again, there's consequences. What I end up with after living that way for a while, a broken heart, broken body, broken dreams, broken promises, broken memories. And God wants us to know these rules, these guidelines, these principles for living God wants to say, hey, they're not for my benefit. They're for yours. They're for your benefit. They will lead you to a better life. See, without a Savior, we go on just doing the same things over and over, making the same mistakes again and again. We need a Savior. We need Jesus. Third reason, to demonstrate his grace. 2 Peter 3, 9 says, The Lord isn't being slow about his promise to return, as some people think. No, he is being patient for your sake. He doesn't want anyone to perish, for he is giving more time for everyone to repent. The reason why God puts up with all of this grief, with all of the the, the heartache it is for him, is that he's being patient. He's being patient with each one of us. He's waiting for you to step across that line and say, I'm going to live my life for God. I'm going to trust God with my whole heart. See, God wants you in his family. He doesn't want you outside of his family. He wants you in his family. And he's really just waiting a little bit longer to give you the opportunity to receive his grace. He's waiting a little bit longer so that other people will receive the opportunity to receive his grace. So in the midst of all of this, how should I respond? Three ways for you. One is reject man-made solutions. You can put under that, reject man-made worldviews. Reject man-made solutions. See, because we live on a broken planet, a fallen world that has sin and evil in it. What that means is, the the outcome to that is, you have many unmet needs. We all do. This is not a perfect place. So all of your needs are not going to get met perfectly. You have unmet personal needs. You have unmet relational needs. You have a need to be understood. You have a need to be loved. All of these different needs are in your life because we live on a planet that's not perfect and because sin and evil exist and are constantly fighting against us. What you don't want to do 
is to give into the temptation of saying, okay, I'm going to figure out how to get my needs met. And I'm going to go about getting my needs met. Because obviously God's not meeting my needs. I got to figure this out on my own because I want my needs to be met. And that's what people do. You might say, I know God says to trust him. I know that God says he will meet my needs, but I'm not going to wait around. I'm going to do something about it. And all that creates is broken hearts, broken dreams, broken bodies, broken memories. Jeremiah 2.13, God says, My people have done two evil things. They have forsaken me, the fountain of living water, and they have dug for themselves cracked cisterns that can hold no water at all. You know, a cistern is an interesting thing. A cistern is not a well. It's a hole that you dug in the ground, usually in, in rock or clay. If you dig a well, you're digging a well so that you could get down to the water, to the aquifer, so that the water would come up in the well. You could drop a bucket down in there and pull water out. That's a well. That's not a cistern. A cistern is a hole that you dig where there is no water. It's a storage container. You take water to it and you pour it in and you get more water and you pour it in. You're filling up the cistern so it has water in it for you. But if your cistern is cracked, which is what God is saying in this moment, all of that water leaks out and it goes dry. That's what happens when you try to live your life your own way. You create cracks in your life. And even though life might be getting poured into you, it's leaking out. And you feel dry. It's one of the reasons why people feel spiritual dryness. They have a cracked life. And the life that's getting poured into them is leaking out. And there's not the benefit that you want to see in that life. Man-made solutions don't generate life. God is the only solution that generates life. Man-made solutions have cracks, and they don't hold life in. You need to reject man-made solutions, and you need to accept God into your life. Second thing is to receive God's grace. Romans 5.17 says, For the sin of this one man, Adam, caused death to rule over many. But even, but even greater is God's wonderful grace and his gift of righteousness. For all who receive it will live in triumph over sin and death through this one man, Jesus Christ. Adam brought death. Jesus Christ brings life. So we want to embrace Jesus Christ to receive God's grace. So if you've never received the grace of God, you need to do it. It is the best life you could choose. Receive God's grace. And then something else we can do. Reach out with God's love. Tell other people about how life works. You are learning this weekend three sessions all oriented about around how life works. 
understanding the world, understanding the situation. Later today, the solution. We need to be willing to tell others about how life works, about how God wants them in his family. So we reach out to people with God's love. We reach out to people with God's truth. We're able to explain the reality of life. When somebody says, why is this happening? Oh, I know. Pull out your notes and just read it to them. Let them in on this truth because they need it just like I needed it, just like you need it. Philippians 2.15 says, go out into the world uncorrupted. A breath of fresh air in this squalid and polluted society. Provide people with a glimpse of good living and of the living God. Carry the light-giving message into the night. Give life to people. Provide people. You live according to God's word. You are then able to provide people with a glimpse of good living and a glimpse of the living God. And you're carrying a torch, which is your life, the message into that darkness. And people will mostly embrace it. They will embrace you. So, the world, it is messed up. It's messed up because of sin. It is a broken planet. And we need to live within that brokenness. And we need to accept the solutions. A relationship with God, connecting with his son, Jesus Christ, being filled with his Holy Spirit that gives me what I need to move forward and to move into the solution that we're going to talk about later. I want to pray with you. Father, I am so grateful for you, for who you are, for how you had, have designed life, for how you lead us. Father, I pray that we would embrace you and your truth and I pray that we would live accordingly. I pray that we would move forward accepting the truth and accepting the things that you've been impressing on our heart this morning about following you, loving you. I pray that in Jesus' name. Amen.